Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. So good to see you guys. What if you could tell a story and it it became true? True to life. I used to tell my kids stories all the time. When they were younger, it was so great to make up stories because they didn't know any better. And now that they're older and I try to tell them a story, they just, it's not the same. But God tells a story. And today we're going to talk about baptism because that's what we're doing today. But it, it goes back a long ways. In fact, it's, it's a journey that we've been going through when we've talked about some of the patriarchs in our series that we're currently going through called Travelers. We've, we've looked at Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, and we've just seen the hand of God move through his promises. He promises them that, listen, you're going to be a great nation. And they become one. They become one during 430 years of slavery, but they do. And as we left off last week with Moses, they had just gone through the 10 plagues with Pharaoh, and they were leaving out, and that's where we'll pick up next week. But we pick up this story here in that we find that baptism has its roots all the way back into the Old Testament. Years ago, I taught a course uh, on a book, a very famous book, well-read throughout the world, one of the most famous, Pilgrim's Progress. Maybe some of you have heard it. But it, it centers on a, a guy by the name of Pilgrim, and he is someone who is not satisfied spiritually with the life that he's living. He's, the, he, he's, he's concerned, and he's vexed of soul about the way things are. And so he says, I must leave, I must flee, I must go. And so he, he heads out in this very famous uh, phrase, that he heads out beyond Wicker Gate. And as he travels out, he, he enters into a journey whereby he is headed for, for the celestial city. That is the place where God dwells. But along the path, I mean, there's some good times, and yet there's some very challenging times too, because that's the way life really is, and so it is with the Christian journey. Well, the Israelites back to then had murmured in the desert. (laughs) It wasn't very nice out there, and so they spent 40 years out in the desert, in the heat, dry. And, but finally, it was time. You can go into the land. And so God had chosen Joshua. Uh, interesting, he is the same name as Jesus. And he heads in with a, with a new regime of leaders into the promised land. But here's, here's the point where we get to today with water. Is that they had to cross over the Jordan River. Now, the Jordan River, because of Scripture, is one of the most famous rivers in the world. But if you've ever been there, it's not that much to look at now. At various times, it was bigger and larger, whatever. But it's never been just this amazing, you know, river to go look at. In fact, I've baptized in that river, and it was awesome. But the best baptism I ever had was up in Pilar in the Rio Grande. 
I mean, where are you going to find better water than New Mexico? I mean, really, think about it. Anyway, okay, I digress. Now, so <clears throat> they go over and they head through the waters. And it's such an important thing because they're leaving Egypt. So what's the big deal about leaving Egypt? Well, Egypt meant slavery, but Egypt comes for us within the context of this story that God brings to us through this real people group that he is building. He's going to teach the whole world something through then. When he goes through, there's a recognition that we're leaving Egypt, which means slavery, hard labor, abuse, into a land that I promised you that's your own. That's good. But also Egypt comes to be associated with sin and worldliness because they were so opulent, wealthy, powerful, and even made their leaders deities. And God says, I associate that with the world and the world system. And now you're crossing over into a land of promise. <clears throat> now, Here's, here's where this is important. God originally had created, created human beings to, to dwell with him and to fellowship with him. And thus he made the garden. And it was a place where they came together. But in a sense, it was like a temple for God in that he dwelled there in the midst with his people. But then mankind had a choice and we made the wrong choice. And subsequently, Eventually, violence entered the world. Hatred, all of the bad stuff. And we went crazy with it. And it became a problem that it's sort of like, how do we undo this knot? How can we ever get it undone? It's so tight, so large, so complicated. But God had a plan of redemption. And I just love the way that God does this. It's not, he, he does it through a story in real life, in real time, that is so inspiring. And because it is historical, we can look back with credibility. Not at all a picture of any of the, the fairy tales or fables that we encounter. But as we read through the text, we realize that these are real people going through real trouble with God. And God is, is right there in the middle of all of it. But, but it, it, for us, it should be a lesson for us to look for his signs, to look for his signals in the world, because they are there if you'll only look for them. And so crossing the Jordan over into the land of promise was what we would call a signpost in their journey, okay? They even stacked up some stones so that they would remember what God had done. Very powerful, very wonderful. So they move into the land and, and begin to dwell. Well, they weren't perfect when they got there. And they weren't perfect while they dwelt there. In fact, they got in trouble and got kicked out for about 70 years and was in captivity in Babylon, but they came back. And when they came back, they were under Roman occupation. It was complicated by the time that Jesus and John the Baptist arrived. But one thing had established through the Torah is the practice of washings. 
Okay, this is why this ties into baptism as well. If, if you wanted to go to the temple, you needed to wash. The priest had to cleanse themselves ceremonially so that they wouldn't bring any spiritual cooties into the church or the temple. That's, that's a biblical term. You can look it up in the Greek. Uh, I won't say it because I don't like bragging. But anyway, now, so they were used to that. You had to wash your hands a certain way before a meal. In fact, if you had somehow come in contact with somebody that was, <clears throat> had the cooties or was unclean for some reason, you yourself would need to be cleansed. Clothes needed to be cleansed if they had come in contact with something that was unclean. And, and, but there's this imagery that God is giving them within his story that there's a fact that you get dirty. You become ceremonial and clean, and you need it once again and again and again. And that's his point. There should be a sense that, uh, will this ever stop? Or will this just be the way that things are forever? But God did have a plan. A very important, very powerful plan. In fact, we see that back in the Old Testament prophets. Ezekiel <clears throat> chapter 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you will be clean and I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. Zechariah 13, he says, on, the day a fountain, on that day a fountain will be opened to the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and impurity. You see, that is the problem. That is the problem. In fact, one of the practices that uh, was used around the temple within uh, Israel was the practice of taking the, the ashes of a red heifer, pure red heifer, no other hairs. And in fact, it's, it, it's, it's so rare. But anyway, they would take that and mix it with some pure water, and there would be a certain type of purification. I was in Israel a number of years ago, and I had four hours to just hang out in the old city. And uh, I wound up over by a yeshiva, and I talked to this lady. I didn't really know where I was. And she said, this is the women's yeshiva. Wait here for a couple of minutes. The rabbi will be here. So the rabbi came. We talked for a while. And another guy was passing by. Um, and he said, hey. And he called his name. He said, take this guy with you and teach him Hebrew. And I'm like, okay. You got four hours. Let's see what we can do. So we went over to the men's yeshiva. And there was a bunch of young guys in there studying, studying uh, Torah and the Talmud. And it was very interesting. I felt so honored. But as I was talking to, to this particular guy, he was from Jamaica, but he, he was Jewish and he lived there. And so we were talking about the temple, the temple mount, and, and preparing for you know, being priests and so forth. And I mentioned the red heifer. And he said, what do you know about the red heifer? I said, I know some things. I don't, I don't know a lot of things, but I know some things. I've read a book or two. And he said, well, it's really important. Because we need that in order that we can be cleansed and we can be with God. God can come and be with us again. That was his whole point to me, is that it's separating us from God. See, that's a part of the story here. And so when you cross over the Jordan, you're crossing over into a land of promise. But the promise isn't fully realized yet, especially spiritually. 
Okay, fast forward. A guy by the name of John the Baptist. John was from the southern part of Judea, so uh, put two and two together. He was the first Southern Baptist. He started a great denomination. Prove me wrong. I don't, I, go ahead. I don't care. But he started calling people down, back down to the Jordan and to baptize them because something new was happening. In fact, Matthew gives us a very clear account of this activity. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the paths for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and honey. I guess he was on the keto diet, I know. That'll make anybody wear camel hair and a big belt. People went out to him from Jerusalem, all Judea, and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Okay, this is key. Because there's a new, new something going on. John was dedicated to the Lord. His parents were serious about his spiritual education. And so when God called him at the right time, he began to call people. Let's go back out here and we'll start over. Because it's time to repent because something brand new is going on. The kingdom of heaven is near. You see, when he said, come and be baptized and repent of your sins, this is the process of preparing to do what God wants you to do. When, when we hear the word repent, it sort of sends shivers down our spines because all of us think, well, I've got a few things still left on the list here I might need to repent of. Repentance, in, in context with what's being said here, is turning your mind around and going in a different direction. It's, it's changing the way that you think about things. As if to say, all right, you've been going your own way, you've been doing it your own way, but, but now I want you to repent, think differently. Put yourself in a different headspace and begin to listen for the echoes of the kingdom of heaven because it's very, very near. You see, the kingdom of heaven is not just, you know, some place in a bunch of clouds and there's some angels that look like babies kind of in a diaper with either a harp or like a, a you know, a bow and arrow. I hope that's not the case. But anyway, if it is, it'll, it'll be fine. But the, the picture is that we think of those, in those terms, but the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is basically wherever God is running things where his throne is. And so the idea is that the kingdom of heaven is breaking in to the earth. God's rule is about to take place, and it will take place through the promised Jewish Messiah, Jesus himself. Jesus was near. Jesus was close by, okay? And he's saying, come out here. 
Let's recommit ourselves. Let's set our minds straight. Because there were people in that day who were fed up with the thing, way that things were. Yes, they had the religion. Yes, they had the, the temple. Yes, they had all the practices. But for many, it just didn't do it. They wanted God himself. And it seemed like everything was pushing them away from God. So they went out into the wilderness to hear this guy. And they realized that this is a moment. He said, get your ear ready, get your heart ready, because the kingdom of heaven is speaking and very near. And little did they know how close that was, even John, because Jesus himself was baptized by John the Baptist. He went out there to the Jordan, to this new movement that is preparing the way, make ready, straighten the paths, clear out the roads, fill in the potholes. I don't know if if God could ever come, Jesus could ever come here because there's so many potholes. But anyway, if he did, we would have to make the path straight, wouldn't we? Now, he said, get ready. Jesus approaches him, and what happens? John the Baptist says, what are you doing here? Well, Jesus said, I'm here to be baptized. Well, I'm not even worthy to unloose your sandals. You should be baptizing me. And he said, no. John, we're going to fulfill everything that God said that we're to do. You know, Jesus went through the same thing that he expected all of his people to go through. He was the first. And so he went through. And when he arose out of the water, we are told that a dove ascended upon him. And God said, this is my son, my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased. And that began a great ministry. That began something that would change the world. John foretold the coming in the, in, the, in the emanation and power and likeness of Elijah. He was the Elijah to that generation. But now Jesus had come and he and his disciples began to baptize. But what was amazing for Jesus is that he, when he came, he led the way through baptism, but he also led the way through self-sacrifice. John also said, behold, when they saw him, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, you and I think, if you've not been around church much, you're not a Christ follower, you think, I don't know that that's cool to call somebody a lamb, right? But it was in their day, and everybody knew what it meant. From the time that they left Egypt at the Passover, when they had to kill the little lamb and put the blood on the doorpost to let the death angel pass by, From to that time until Jesus, the lamb was always associated with a sacrifice, a substitution, okay? A substitution for your actual sin. You say, well, that's kind of macabre. You know, why why animal sacrifice? You know, that's kind of bizarre. We wouldn't do that. Listen, God's so serious about this whole sin issue and this just completely messing things up as, as a race, as human beings, and how far it's gone off, that there should be a recognition that this, your sin, costs somebody something. And so it would cost someone a lamb continually, bearing on different animals for sacrifices. So you get the point. This is no small thing. But there's a problem. There's a problem with forgiveness. You know, when somebody sins against you and they hurt you and 
you know that they need forgiveness. Sometimes it's hard because you say, you don't deserve it, right? And we think, I don't need to hold, have forgiveness. I can't give forgiveness. And here are the reasons why. But the truth is, a person that has completely offended you or done something wrong can, within their own human power, can never fully make up for a historical event that happened in the past. We're not equipped to do so. We can do our best. We can try really hard. But at the end of the day, what's really needed is forgiveness, cleansing, clearing of the path so that there's a new way forward. That's, you see, you get the picture there. So now you have the Mashiach, the Messiah, who comes in and he says, okay, um, I'm going to be the Lamb of God for you. And I'm going to take away the sins of the world, what big theological term, uh, substitutionary uh, atonement. I'm going to take your place on the cross. That's what I'm going to do. Your place. It's you who did this, not me. You did. And I'm going to take your place because that's the only way we're going to get this right. But it's a signpost in the story because God knew that it would take this from the very beginning. God knew it all. For us, God's story that is in the past and being revealed today, for us is something that we experience frame by frame, moment by moment looking back through the history to find it out. But God's laid it out for us, and so we're constantly discovering what he's doing. But here's the good news. The big problem for human beings since we left the garden was death. Anybody look forward to death? Any of you married people? I mean, just tell me right now. The death of your... No, I'm sorry. But it's something that we know is a fact of human existence, and yet we resist it as much as we can, right? We, we understand that. Now, he went to the cross and died for our sins. He was buried. And that is amazing in itself. But he did something that was brilliant. And for the most people, totally unexpected, and that he rose again on the third day. Easter's coming up. We, this is the Easter period where we celebrate that. But it's more than just a celebration. It is a signpost. It, it is, it is, a, it is a, a, a post on the road of God's story, this road that people were on. And so you have raised from the dead, and then you have Acts chapter 1, after Jesus is raised from the dead, he appears to the disciples and said, listen, wait in Jerusalem until the Pentecost comes. Fifty days after the festival, you'll be here and wait, because I'm going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So 50 days later, they're sitting in, the, in a room together, and all of a sudden they hear this great rushing wind. They see sort of balls of fire or however it looked. And eventually they, they landed above the, the disciples and there were like flames that were lapping like tongues and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out and began to preach. And what did they preach? Listen to Peter. He said, Peter replied, repent and be baptized. 
every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The, the promise is for you, your children, and for all who are far off, all the way even to Berlin. For all whom the Lord our God will call. You see, that's when the road took off. Primarily, the story had been about God creating a relationship and revealing his plan through a certain group of people. But from that came a Messiah who Moses spoke about as an anointed one who would be like Moses. Okay, Moses was the greatest in their history, but the Messiah would supersede all. In fact, we would learn that he would be the unique son of God himself. But when he came, he opened it up to the whole world. Now, this was hard for many to take. Take the uh, rabbi, Saul of Tarshish. He was very zealous, very well-educated, brilliant person. In fact, he saw the, the error of the ways of the Christians, that these new believers who followed after the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, this whole Jesus movement thing. He saw it and said, this is a threat. They're breaking the law. I'm going to have them thrown in jail. In fact, he was there when the first Christian was stoned to death, Stephen, Saul was there, but he met Jesus. Jesus knocked him on the ground, and he changed his mind. Good move. His name eventually was changed to Paul, which means little. But listen to his take on this, okay? What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death like this, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has become set free from sin. Okay, it's a mouthful there, but you get what he's saying. He's saying that the penalty for sin is death. Jesus took that, putting an end to all of the sacrifices necessary, putting an end to everything that someone must do. God comes in and he says, I did it, and I did it for you. Now, here's the thing. Jesus is the entrance into fullness and salvation into a land that is promised to you. How many of you love the situation that our world is in right now? You know, it was the worst of times. It was the worst of times. 
There within, if any human being will be honest enough, there is this desire within us to says, I want something different. I want something different. With all of our technology and all of the advances that we've made, we're still at war with each other, murdering each other, destroying each other. But God says, if you want away from that, I suggest you go into the door, Jesus himself. And through there starts a pathway, and that's where we come to baptism. Baptism Getting in the water itself has no magic power. It's not like we got the oldest Bible in the church and we stirred the water with it to kind of make sure it was perfect. We didn't, although that does sound like a good idea. Anyway, this is some marketing stuff that I've been playing with. Anyway, it's, it's the idea that we go back to the Jordan and we pass through the waters and recognize that as we have given our lives to Jesus, if you have become a Christ follower, I'm telling you, baptism for us is a reminder of setting up those stones by the Jordan River. It's a signpost that says, here for you is the next point on your journey. Journey on the path to that city in the place where God dwells and where he rules. I want that personally. I, I can't, the, the thought of that day when God rules all, we were reading about it in, in uh, the book of Revelation, what does it say? It says that uh, I will wipe every tear from their eye, there'll be no more death, no more dying, no more pain, for all of the former things have passed away. All of that's gone. And Paul here says, listen, he died on the cross and he died for us. So our old self, this self that couldn't inherit anything like that is gone. Does it mean that we're perfect? No. There weren't perfect people who entered into um, Israel, into Canaan, to the land of promise. They had a choice to do what was right. But the difference is, is that Jesus said that it must be a birth a born-again experience, which means for us is that his death, he takes it place for us. And so that means our sin and the sin that we should have paid for ourselves is paid for by him. And that means that if he's resurrected from the dead, that means that we will be also resurrected to life now, spiritually, in this corporeal body, and later on, resurrected into a new body to experience a new heaven and a new earth, where all of this trouble and all of this garbage is gone. And I'm not talking about some type of utopia or nirvana, where it's just sort of, oh boy, it's just going to be such a wonderful place. This is God's world. You and I are part of God's creation. That means we're a part of his plan. That means without him, our lives have no meaning. We have to contrive meaning for ourselves. But to know him is to look for him. To know him is to be excited about his coming. To know him is to be joyful of the thought 
that he will be running the whole place. He will be rightfully in charge. But until that day, we have a signpost that says, I am now buried with Christ, and I am risen up out of the water into a newness of life, and I walk and follow after him. And he's the one who has set us on that journey. Paul goes on to explain some of this to the Corinthians. He said, For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body that is unity. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. So before, it would seem that it was isolated within Israel, with God's chosen people. But here's the thing. It's not like God has chosen a new group of people. No, don't misunderstand. He has, throughout his word, if you look through the Old Testament, you'll find that he specifically had designed his people to be a light unto the Gentiles, to bring healing to the nations, that they weren't to just be blessed on their own for their own selves, but they would bless the whole world, thereby fulfilling the promises that were given to the patriarchs, to Abraham, to Sarah, Isaac, and Jacob the whole world. And Paul, being of good Jewish stock, could say, there's one body, Gentile, slave, free, Jews, we're all one in him. Jesus can make that happen. Jesus can make that happen. Where it seems that there's no way, don't give up because God has a way. And it's probably through Jesus. All right, little point here is that baptism with water cannot save you. There should be a personal commitment to God prior to. Sometimes it may happen simultaneously. But the idea that there's certain type of magical water somewhere that would actually do this is not the case. Because if it, if it didn't happen inside here, all you did was get into a warm bath in front of a lot of people. But let's say that your heart has been toward God and you've asked God for forgiveness and you are, are, are right now looking to him and you say, I want to follow you and I want to be publicly noted, acknowledge that I am with you forever. That's why people show up to weddings. They're all witnesses. You know what? I heard what you said up there. Get back over there and stay married. But we're born into a community on a pilgrimage with the Lord. The public declaration. A public declaration of where you're going. Listen. Baptism will not save you. However, baptism is not an option. Those of you who have avoided it, why? 
Would you do that? Well, I don't need to get wet to, to love Jesus. I mean, I wear nice clothes. I don't want to get wet. Might ruin them. I've heard a lot of different reasons why. But I tell you, my friends, it's a glorious reminder to each one of us about the story and the signpost of the water and going through it. God tells a big, grand story. And if you listen close enough and you avail yourself to him, you will be a part of that story. And it's great. It's wonderful. You can write your own story, and in the end, no one will care. Or you can be in God's story and be fulfilled and live in peace with your creator and potentially with everyone as much as it concerns you. All right then. If, let's say you were baptized when you were little, I am not a part, I didn't grow up in that tradition where you would baptize infants. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I would ask you as an adult, where do you stand with Christ today? What is your relationship with God? What has that baptism led you on? Was that just a religious experience? Or can you look back to that and say, That's, I've been following God ever since then? Like we heard the testimony today. I, mean, I grew up in the church, but I wanted to make a public declaration of what God's done for me. Man, I'm telling you, my friends, it is one of the great privileges of this life to be identified with Jesus. Think about the, think about if you were friends with one of the, you know, big tech company owners. Now, I know it's very controversial, but uh, I'm just, uh, I, I thought it would be interesting because what would you think if you said, oh yeah, Jeff Bezos is stopping by the house a little bit later in his uh, flying saucer and then we're going to go over... <laughs> No telling what those guys have. But, you know, you kind of want to brag a little bit. In fact, I know a few famous people, and when I can, and I'm feeling a little insignificant at a party or something, I'll drop their name. <clears throat> yeah, I hung out and went to the movies with Jim Caviezel, the guy who played Jesus in the movie, The Passion of the Christ. But shouldn't we be more proud to be in Jesus' family? And to be identified with him, what a badge of honor. Now, in Jesus' day, following after, that kind of recognition could get you killed. And it can in some places in the world today. But those who love him will say it's worth it. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. So, until next time... May the Lord bless you and keep you. 
May God smile on you and gift you. May God look you full in the face and make you prosper. Have a great week.